Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Stephanie Dimitro, who's the founder of Maker Suite, which is a SaaS solution that enables professionals to create uh, talking head videos in minutes. Uh, which is like a YouTube explainer videos for sales. Uh, and uh, Makersuite is helping people become more effective communicators and storytellers. A big thanks to Joy Ab- Abisab for the introduction. Uh, welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Rohit, for having me. Awesome. You know, uh, you have an interesting journey. You know, how, how did you get your start in startups and what made you start Makersuite? So, I mean, I always wanted to start my own company from a very young age, but I think a lot of the times we lack the confidence to just go and do it. So I joined, I went, I would say, the more conventional routes and started at Bain and Company, yeah. where I spent about four years, um, which was great because it gave me the hard skills. But then I had a very strong itch to like create and get much more operational. And so I joined, uh, I was introduced by a friend to a, a founder that had exited a business quite successfully and was starting a new venture. And I thought that that was a great way to learn. And so did that for about two years um, before starting Makersuite, which I think you just asked um, what made us build Makersuite. We wanted to, obviously video is one of the most prominent mediums to communicate with your audience. And we really wanted to build a a platform that supported self-employed professionals and actually creating their own videos so that they could market themselves. Because especially personality-driven companies, their sales and their customers is very much driven by who they are as individuals. But the more we spoke to these types of people, the more we realized they had no idea how to create video content, to know what their lighting should be like, how to write a script, how to even publish their videos. And so that's where the idea behind Make a Suite was in essentially creating a platform very similar to Wix or Squarespace that enables anyone to become a creator. Oh, interesting. Got it. And yeah, you, know, you, you talked about, uh, you know, working as a management consultant. Uh, what, what was your uh, experience as, as a management consultant uh, when you were there in South Africa? And, you know, yeah, how, how did you, was it a conscious move to move to London? So it was definitely a conscious move to, well, yeah, to move to London. Um, so at Bain, I left university and went straight into consulting and was very sort of used to being a high achiever and then went stuck into the Bain world where you sort of become more of an average achiever compared to the rest of your peers. Um, great training ground. Did a lot of strategy, big data projects. Um, which yeah set me up for success, I would say, as a founder. But I still had this very strong drive to do something operational. And so two years in, I did an exchange or transfer to the London office. And after that, just I felt like there was more opportunity for me here to build a startup. Obviously, there's lots of white space in South Africa and Africa in general. Um but it was an operating environment that I was more comfortable with in the UK. And so got a permanent transfer. And then after that, joined that medtech startup I mentioned earlier. Mm, kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, I've worked in, in tech startups where you have management consultants and then they, you know, either they work in an operational role 
uh, or or they they start up but if you could go back in time would you would you uh, get straight into into startups or start building own thing or would you still give an advice to founders that you know they it's good to work as a management consultant for a few years before you branch out on your own that's a very hard one and i think it's very dependent on the individual so for myself personally i felt like i needed something to give me the confidence and also something to fall back on so startups as you know are very risky and um you constantly wonder you know am i going to have a job in a couple of months and so having that credible bane background um is something nice to fall back on i would say or de-risks it to some degree i think um it does give you sort of foundational skill sets there are things that i personally feel like i learned a lot more in startups um which you don't necessarily experience as a more junior consultant so for example learning how to sell when you don't have much to sell yeah. um to, you know potential employees potential customers um even the suppliers you work for so i never sort of dealt with i think selling is one of the most important skills in a startup yeah. and something you only learn i think later as a consultant when you reach more principal partner level so there definitely um certain skills that i had to learn on my own being in a startup um it's very hard for me to know where would i have gotten to at this point if i didn't have for example analytical skills or being able to structure my thoughts um being able to upward manage um understanding people because obviously at a big consulting company you work with lots of often difficult clients potentially um you dealing with managers with different styles etc got it interesting and uh, you, you know you uh, you build a saas product make a suite helps uh you know people tell their stories through through the power of video uh, but i want what to understand what is the what is the revenue model who's your icp and you know how do you get your first 10 customers yeah so at the moment our revenue model is typical saas pricing so you pay per month okay. um and you get a set amount of video projects that you can create okay our icp um is marketing leads or heads of communication at businesses that typically need to create quite a high volume of video um so there's this this is need to keep creating and they want to improve the quality of video so a lot of people often have friction with video so if you've never created video before yeah. the barrier to start creating is a lot higher than people already creating obviously the goal is to go and serve those that um have a bit more tension or friction when creating it um and then in terms of how we got our first 10 clients i think and i think this is quite typical for most startups they typically and it depends on the model you're doing so mass scale or, or more b2b is definitely through network doesn't mean i knew them personally but they came through via via so i think the power of your network is very important and nurturing those relationships um so typically i would find like an ideal customer profile see if there was someone in my network who knew me who knew them and me and could facilitate an introduction because obviously friendly introductions are a lot more powerful than you know reaching out cold um even saying things like to a potential prospect you know ted told me to reach out to you 
feels uh-huh. a lot warmer and open. And as soon as the conversation's open and you can sell directly to them, um, it, it becomes a lot easier. So I would say that's that's how we got our, that's mainly how we got our first 10 clients. Okay, okay, got it. And, and you mentioned about head of communication. So uh, is it is it about, uh, you know, companies who, who churning a lot of, lot of video content and, you know, any, uh, sorry, any, any tips on, you know, what, uh, advice you would give to people who would want to improve the content, especially the video content? So the first tip, okay, you get, like I said, there's two audiences. The first is yeah. those that want to create, don't. The advice is you just got to start. I think, yeah. you know, we're at the point in time where the quality of your video doesn't need to be perfect. What matters more is the messaging you give. And are you providing your users what they actually want to listen to? And can you do that in a clear, concise way? And as long as you nail that and have a very specific ICP that you're speaking to and you have a very clear message that you know they resonate or will be interested in, that becomes more important than having like, you know, an HD video you've recorded on a 4K camera. So I think just getting in front of your audience and starting. I think with content, there's also, there's a, there's about a period of a couple of months. Um, it's very similar to SEO where if you're not, you need to be creating consistently. And then there's like this um, hockey stick effect, which a lot of people just give up too early. Um, so that's one tip. The second is in terms of helping people improve the kind of content they're creating. I think there's, varies a lot so depending on your channel so youtube for example um making sure that again your small things like thumbnails i think it's tweaking a lot of your the pizza pieces of your video so your thumbnail the description um you know the types of video you're creating and seeing what resonates most with your audience and then based on that creating more of that type of content and really niching down on your audience and what you're talking about. Today, I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x? They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14 day free trial. Quite interesting. I- uh, I think uh, I listened to w- one of the videos from um, uh, from Mr. Beast who said that you know he spends I don't know thousands of dollars on uh, on thumbnails. I've been I've been experimenting a bit, so so I'll take that feedback and try try to improve my thumbnails more. Um, yeah, we can definitely we can help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And um, you know, especially when when you uh, building a company, how do you how do you define the high performance uh, in your team, you know, what, what does high performance mean for you? I think this depends. And sorry, I have a lot of caveats <laughs> every time I answer a question. I think it depends on the stage of your company. So for me right now, I love team performance. I love team members that can take full ownership of what they're yeah. doing because for me, that's leverage. So as much of the tasks I have that I can hand off to someone else so I can focus on what I'm good at is very important. So I would prefer to hire more experienced people, Um, not those that are so far away from actually doing the day-to-day job. Um, 
So they're willing to do that, but they also experience enough to know what to expect and know how to manage various stakeholders. Um, that's what I would say. And then, I mean, people that you just, I think when you start to trust someone that they can do their job better than you would ever do it, I think that's a, a very important indicator. And then obviously underneath that is a lot of smaller things that enable you to trust them. So good communication, they're obviously effective in what they do, um, are good at what they do, make decisions um, quickly, but also with thought when they need to. Mm, got it, got it, interesting. And, uh, you, know, you, you know, you mentioned that you, you would prefer to hire somebody who's more experienced, but um, I, I was just wondering, when it comes to, you know, pre-seer and seed startups, uh, you, you know, when you are looking at, uh, speed is, is so important, so is execution. But would you hire somebody with uh, an expertise in the domain you uh, you are in, like somebody in the B two B SaaS, or or would you still take a bet on somebody who's just a fresher but is quite hungry? I think it depends on the region they're operating in. So, for example, um. And we've had experience with many different developers. So technology as an example, when you want to move with speed and your tech stack is maybe, let's say, let's say you have JavaScript, okay? Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily take a bet on someone hungry that has a different coding language right. versus sales, which you could argue is a lot more relies a lot on your creativity. So obviously there's experience involved, um, but your hunger can force you to like, you know, go the extra mile. And, and it's, a, it's a type of where persistence and like um, not caring what people think necessarily or uh, not getting upset by people turning you down is more important. So it very much depends on the role. Um, okay. Yeah. Got it. And uh, and and how do you, how do you structure your your decision making throughout the day? You know, I mean, you, you're always looking to to hire people and do a lot of strategic uh, meetings. But uh, how do you how do you structure your day so that you you have the energy to you know keep keep building up? This is a very good question because I think it's it's something I constantly am thinking about. Like, how much time do I spend doing value activities versus? admin, which could be outsourced to someone else. So part of my thinking actually goes to thinking about that um, because I think everyone should really, to perform well, you should be focusing on the things that matter and things that you're good at. Mm. So I try to structure my day so that in the mornings or I block time to actually do the value driving activities. I also like to plan in advance. So if I know that there's going to be something that will block my team, I try to plan ahead so that they never are blocked by me, um, especially if it's something important. Obviously, if it's something minor, then it doesn't matter so much. The second dimension to decision-making is, I think, a lot in terms of a two-by-two. Two. So normally, if you had you know, a typical consultant two-by-two, two, you had yeah. impact versus reversibility. So if they, something's very high impact okay. and very irreversible, you typically want to focus more time on it. That's something that's very low impact and not and very easily reversible. 
So for example, what I don't know. Um I'll probably give a bad example. So maybe so like what tools you use to create your thumbnails as an example. So versus things that are irreversible. So anything if you're a UK company that goes onto company's house, for example, you can never erase that. It sits there forever. Okay. Okay. Got it. And uh, I, I, I want to understand, you know, especially when it comes to high level decisions, uh, which a C-level executives make, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you differentiate from tactic versus strategy? And, you know, when is the right time to change your tactics and strategy, uh, you know, in different stages of the company? Yeah. So for me, the strategy is very much like, where are you going? Like in the next whatever your time horizon is, where are you going? And tactics are how do you, in every three-month increment, what are the things you're going to do that help you reach that strategy? And with tactics, I think you need to, they, they, they can be small things that you change to try to get different results. And eventually you're going to say to yourself, okay, I've exhausted these options. Let's try to move time to move on to another tactic. With your with strategy specifically, I think it's important to have a very clear set of hypotheses that you're testing, and you test that using certain tactics. Or yeah, and with with that, if your hypotheses remain unproven for a set amount of time, and you feel you've done everything you can to try and prove that hypothesis then I think it's probably time to switch. But I think this is a very hard question because I often challenge myself, have you given enough? It's very, it's a very fine line between knowing when to cut ties and pivot or change and when to keep going. Because and I'm I'm it's a very hard skill. And I think maybe second time founders or founders that have exited will notice that a lot quicker than first-time founders. Oh, okay, interesting. And, and do, you, do you like set a timeline? Like I'm, I'm going to give three months uh, to decide you know, if this channel, this the sales channel, the marketing channel is going to work or this tactic is going to work. Uh, do you think setting those timelines makes sense? Yes, totally. And it depends on the channel you're doing. So if you're doing a longer-term channel, you may want to give it a bit more time to start to see data. Um, something like performance ads, again, you can only really measure if you've put enough resource into it. So if you put a hundred pounds, you're probably not going to be able to prove or disprove your hypothesis. So I think you need to also be realistic with the time and the resource you put in. And if that's doable to test that certain hypothesis. And you know what? You often, you don't necessarily prove it entirely in three months. Yeah. Um, Again, that's a hard one, but you need to get closer to in the beginning phase. You every you know you're chipping away to find that product market fit. Yeah, got it. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been I've been into business development partnerships and sales, and especially when it comes to pre-seed and seed startups. Uh, when do you think a founder should hire a head of sales? Do you think uh, should you hire somebody who's junior? Uh, and who can just get a bit of attraction and then should hire a, a head of sales? Or do you think the first sales hire should be the head of sales? From my experience, I think when the founder can do it themselves very well and they've nailed the process. 
I think, I don't think, first of all, unless the senior salesperson feels like they're a founder, uh, they need direction and they're likely to get bored with founders that are, because you're in this phase where you're constantly changing and iterating. So I don't think I would hire a head of sales too early. Um, Obviously depends on their profile. And I think, junior people will really struggle with art direction in the beginning you don't really have much you sort of you know um taking a paint gun and trying to like you know hit around and see what what hits and what sticks and that's that's at the point when you when you figure out okay this target audience this kind of messaging this is what we're offering at that point i think can you consider you know, hiring maybe one person and then scaling. Also bear in mind, a head of sales is likely used to working in teams. And so if they're operating on their own, doing the job of a junior salesperson, often they'll get very demotivated. So it's a very, it's a very hard role. I mean, and in the later stages, I think it can be an enormous value add to your business. But I think in the early stages, you need to be very mindful of like, the key people you want to hire. Um, this is very similar for marketing too. So for marketing, I, you know, a lot of people prefer to hire very generalists. Yeah. In the beginning, I prefer to take a hypothesis season channels and then find experts in those channels and run experiments with them because I find that's much quicker to get the result um, than working with a generalist that's maybe pretty average at all the channels you're trying to tackle because then it's also very hard to understand was it there is it the way they executed or was it actually the channel mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code lsm uh, which gives you the benefit of 15 percent off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. And especially about the, about the marketing hire, uh, do, do you hire a lot of freelancers or experts? And, uh, you know, what uh, is it going to be uh, a generalist who, who hires all these freelancers and they report to, report to them? Uh, what would be... I don't do the second way. Um, again, I don't think a generalist would be able to handle, like they may be able to if they're senior enough, but I don't think it's necessarily in the, necessary in the early days. And again, I'm like a pre-seed, seed stage startup. So yeah. to maybe later stage. Um, and I typically find those experts through network. And I normally do a couple of references and, compared to about two to three people. So I have a decent number. So I know, you know, okay, they're the right ones. I'm going to go with them. And then you see how it goes. And once you work with enough, you start to get a sense of what good looks like. And so every time you find, you know, someone new to work with and and your network just keeps growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. And, you know, know, um, especially in a SaaS company, uh, the two important roles are, are the sales as well as product. And I was just just wondering, you know, what what characteristics should should a founder look for uh, for somebody who's a high performing sales hire? So, um, I think persistence 
I think yeah. one of the most important things is actually creativity. Yeah. Because when you're this early, you have to be like a bit creative to get like the results you want. Mm. So definitely creativity, um, thick skin, uh, yeah. very persistence is one of the most important things. Like, are they willing to, there's almost like, you know, there's a bit of a level of shame when you're like trying to sell so much and so hard to people. Are they willing to get through that feeling? Yeah. Um, and then EQ is a very big one. So as soon as someone answers the phone, can you tell by their mood if they want a quick, snappy 30-second sales call or if you need to ask them how they are, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Got it. Super interesting. And um, and especially, you know, uh, in, in a seed startup, you know, would you hire a B player first and then keep, uh, you know, raising the bar? Or would you wait for, an, you know, a longer time to to hire a a player, uh, you know, in, in a like permanent role. I think the first the first ten people that you hire that are, let's say, in the tech team, let's say five to ten. I can't say beyond that, um, but I would say a. I wouldn't. I would not go for B first, unless the role is something a bit more like repetitive or something, but for any like strategic kind of role, product, technology, sales, marketing, my preference. And this is why sometimes I prefer to outsource um, marketing to experts. And then you don't carry the weight of having a full-time employee. And you can also, if it doesn't work, you know, stop that kind of activity, but definitely a for the first initial hires. I think after that you can scale to be that the A's can, you know, manage or train. Um, yeah, but personally, I'd start with A. Okay, okay, got it. And um, uh, and coming on to on, on to the product hires, you know, when do you think it's the, it's the right time to hire a product uh, a product hire in a startup, especially you know since founder is so attached to the product. But can you, especially in a in a seed startup or pre seed startup, can you? Uh, give away that responsibility to a to new person who could be, uh, you know, handling the product. So this depends on the founding team structure. So typically if you start very early and you have like a CTO, they may take on all that, depending on how technical they are versus the other founder. One of the two will sort of naturally take a lead on product. Okay. If you don't have that experience at all in your team, then I think as soon as you have either a big enough tech team or a very deep understanding of, you know, what you need to build, there's, I'm going to caveat this because I haven't thought of all scenarios, but I think having a product person when you don't have tech people to build doesn't really make sense unless they're a front-end developer and they can do like you know, uh, support you even on, you know, testing landing pages, et cetera. So I would probably, this is for pure like tech products, obviously. Yeah. I'd probably wait a bit for a tech team. Okay. Okay. And and is there any, you know, optimal uh, onboarding process for, you know, tech and product hires? I think the roles are quite different. Um, 
for tech hires, I think getting them familiar with, I mean, tech hires, they obviously need to be very familiar with your products, which typically like an audit of your current tech stack, um, let them review other people's code, um, say what they would have changed, for example. But I think the best way is to dive right in, like give them a few tasks, get going, and you learn as you go. Product, I would say the first thing I would do is make, it depends if they're very familiar with your domain or not, but testing your products, providing feedback on your product, potentially starting to do QA with the tech team so they understand like what kind of issues the app currently has, doing lots of research on existing tools um, and working with the tech team. But again, this depends on is the product also, that role can have involved so many details. Is the is, are they a product manager, in which case they're just managing the tech team, or are they also involved in product design, you know, product iteration, product strategy? It's quite a broad term, I would say. So it depends on what areas the expertise lies. So what I just said about testing other apps, testing the existing app, um, testing other apps would be very applicable for someone doing design or product strategy. Hmm. Got it. And yeah, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's what's your favorite business book? Um, I would say oh, there's one that's slipped my mind actually. Um well one of them's crossing the chasm. I think it's very like important, especially for early stage startups and especially in the sales process. Like you constantly have to remind yourself who is that initial audience that I can get traction with and what do they look like and what do they care about? Mm. That's probably one of my favorites um, books. And then another one, which I found really interesting is predictably irrational, which is a lot about behavior. So he speaks a bit about like pricing behavior and people's perception of money. And yeah, I think that's, that's also a great book. Got it. We'll put that in show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started building Makersuite, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything different? I think I probably would have started, you know, we have, you're, you're also constantly thinking what's the big vision because that's what you sell to investors, employees, et cetera. But then you need to take a step back and be like, what's the one thing I'm going to do well? And I think that lays the focus is something if I could go back on and I continuously even do it now, what's the one thing I'm being laser focused on and my whole team is being focused on. Okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, and what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything other than Makersuite? I love Canva. Canva is a great one. I love it for design and versatility. I'm also quite a fan of um, Pipedrive, which we use for sales. Uh, I'm a big user of <laughs> many online tools. <laughs> I'll sell expenses. Um, yeah, I would say those are the two the two top ones I can I can think of. Okay, got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, uh, Stephanie, what is the best way people can know about you and about Make a Suite? 
So you can either go to our website and contact us or email me. Maybe I'll give you my email to put in the, the link of your of this podcast. And yeah, always open to feedback, suggestions, the chat. Correct. We'll, we'll put that in your show notes. Uh, Steffi, thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.